Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where each week we tell you about some strange thing that's happened in history. I'm your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hello there. Hello. I've got a strange one for this week. I understand you do, and I don't think I know anything about it. (laughs) No, you probably don't. So this week, to continue our tradition of doing episodes that are kind of culturally relevant a little bit after the fact. Yep. We are never on time. We are never on time. I am going to talk about the Olympics. Yay! (laughs) Because that ended like a few weeks ago, something like that. Maybe. I don't remember exactly when it ended. I know that it was been done for some time now. But <laughs> there was some kind of Olympics. Yes, yeah. Well obviously it was delayed a year because of the pandemic. That's true. Yeah, but now I'm gonna talk about an even weirder Olympics. Okay. This is the nineteen oh four Summer Olympics. Okay. Which is actually the third Olympics ever. Hang on a second, Barnaby. <laughs> I thought that the Olympic Games were an ancient Greek tradition. No, you didn't. Stop lying. (laughs) (laughs) So the Olympics as we know them started in 1896 in Athens. Okay. Then in 1900, they had their second Olympic Games in Paris. Mm -hmm. And then the third was the first one in America. And it took place in St. Louis in Missouri. Ooh, that must have been a bit warm i mean it was it also wasn't meant to take place in st louis oh god it was originally meant to take place in chicago those two places are very far away though aren't they they are did people just get very very lost no so this olympic games was very notable for a number of reasons uh firstly it was the first time that they had separate First, second, and third places. Okay. So it was the first time they used uh, bronze, silver, and gold. Mm-hmm. And it was also, as I say, the first one to take place in America. Yep. And initially, the place that won the bid was Chicago. Okay. But there was a problem. And this was that in St. Louis, they were hosting the World's Fair. Okay. Uh, what is the World's Fair? The World's Fair is essentially just a big spectacle where people demonstrate art, science, inventions. It's kind of meant to be like just the thing where you bring all cultural and technological achievements together. It's just this huge spectacle. Okay, and part of that spectacle was that one of the scientists had created a gigantic magnet, thus sucking all of the bronze, silver and gold medals (laughs) to St. Louis. And so the Olympians had to chase after it in a wild ragtag multi-marathon. That's not how magnets work. Why not? That would be awesome. (laughs) No, but the thing was, the organisers of the World's Fair got a bit pissed off that Chicago was going to have the Olympics. Okay. Because these are basically two huge international events happening Mm. at the same time. And the organiser of the World's Fair kind of went, hang on. If you're hosting the Olympics all the way over in Illinois, then that's fewer people coming to the World's Fair. Man, are they just expecting everyone who's going to want to see any kind of spectacle from the whole of the US to go to the World's Fair? Yes. Wow. That's what they wanted. Okay. They wanted everyone to come to them. So they decided (laughs) in a really passag way to set up their own athletic events section for the World's Fair. Oh my god. Yeah. This seems really selfish of St. Louis. Oh, They're it like, was. no, you can't have any tourism, Chicago. Yeah. 
Yeah, they caused so much of a fuss that the Olympic Committee basically went, all right, fine, we're gonna host it in St. Louis now. Sorry, Chicago. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it's all going to go to St. Louis. If I was them, I would have wanted to be like, you know what? Sod it. We're gonna we're gonna have our first South American <laughs> Olympics. Yeah. So uh, as a result, the games, as I say, moved to St. Louis, mm-hmm. and they ended up running from July the first to November the twenty third. That's a, a long, bit long. Yeah, it's a hell of a long time. Okay. But and granted, people couldn't report on things live, so maybe they were worried it would take up newspaper <laughs> space if you had to report every single race and do all the little descriptions. Yes. Yeah, no, that like, would take ages. You, you, it was the form of live commentary. Yeah. You just read along with it. <laughs> no, so... Obviously, they wanted to integrate the Olympics into the World's Fair. Sure. As just kind of like a make it one big event sort of thing. Okay, fine. This already sounds like it's going to be an absolute clusterfuck. Yeah. And not only that, but it's going to be a racist clusterfuck. Oh, great. Because one of the things that was set up in the World's Fair was the Anthropology Days. Oh, no. And this was based on the human zoos Mm -hmm. that had taken place in the late 1800s and continuing to that day uh, at the World's Fair, which is basically, hey, let's go look at people who don't look like us white folks savages yes let's well, look how, at... how do they act exactly people so let's let's put them up into these tableau to demonstrate their their native life so that we can mock them i love the fact that our missourians have got <laughs> a crisp british accent oh yes absolutely but not only did they were they doing the normal sort of spectacle tableau where they had people in you know traditional native garb mm-hmm. and and their traditional housing and all that sort of stuff sure yeah they decided to include athletic events oh, the, I, oh my god okay yeah right these included greased pole climbing mm. ethnic dancing and literal mudslinging is that an athletic event from any tribe? I have absolutely no idea. Probably not. The whole thing was meant to be kind of like, oh, we're white people, we're so advanced, mm-hmm. let's see how these non-white people compare to us in these athletic events. Look at them, haha, isn't this funny? Okay, so... Tangent. Yeah? I once went to the Natural Museum... Like, the Museum of Natural History, don't know the exact title of it, in New York. Yeah. Um, largely because I'd seen Night at the Museum, <laughs> <laughs> and I was really excited to see that dinosaur, which I couldn't find. But, for some reason, they still have got, as part of the Natural History Museum, they've still got a lot of information on Native American cultures. Right. Now, the thing is that it's a really good display, and it's really interesting and informative, but at the same time, I'm kind of like... Does this belong here? Is mm. this the right place? Are you saying that native peoples are natural history? Yeah. You know, it's a bit odd. I get what you mean. 
you have nicely tied into the next bit I was going to talk about, which is that one of these tableau yeah. at the anthropology days was the model school, which was filled with Native American students to show their successful assimilation into civilized society. Oh, huh, no. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So this whole thing was just, you know, super racist, pretty awful. And to be fair, some people at the time thought it was pretty awful. mm uh, Pierre de Coubertin, a French historian and founder of the International Olympic Committee, basically thought the whole thing was shite. Great. He said that, as for that outrageous charade, it will of course lose its appeal when black men, red men and yellow men learn to run, jump and throw and leave the white men behind. I mean, I don't like his phrasing, oh, no, but he's the phrasing not wrong. Is, the phrasing <laughs> is terrible, yes, but I mean, it's very much of the era. yeah. But also, I appreciate that he kind of sees a future in which people of colour are going to do well in the Olympics and be like, let's ignore all of this stupidity. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of wanted to talk about that just to kind of set the scene. Okay. So that you already know we're in a bit of a weird situation. Mm. So now I'm going to talk about the actual Olympic Games themselves. And specifically, I'm going to mostly talk about one event, Mm. which was the marathon Okay. But I'll give you a bit more information about the games as a whole first. Okay. Is this still back in the time when people used to play chess at the Olympics? Uh, no. Oh, shame. No, no, no. That that was not part of it. But it was the first year that boxing was part of the Olympics. Ooh. Yeah, and a couple of other events as well. But obviously being the third Olympics, that's mm. not a huge, <laughs> huge Granted. feat. Yeah. Boxing's pretty early on. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. Like, boxing was a really popular Victorian sport. Mm. But I hadn't thought of it. But speaking of the era, 1904 was not the easiest time to travel to America. Okay. I mean, traveling in general at that sort of distance was still a little bit difficult. Like, it would take a long time. We hadn't even got up to Titanic yet. Exactly, yeah. And not only that, but in 1904 to 1905 was the Russo-Japanese War. Yep. One of my favourite wars. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I just like that it exists. (laughs) Well, it was basically that Russia wanted to have a foothold in some warmer Pacific areas Mm -hmm. so that they could, you know, have better routes to the rest of the world. And Japan, who at that time was kind of being a bit expansionist themselves, were like, nope, you're not allowed to do that. It led to one of the first revolutions in Russia. Really? The Japanese war. Yeah, it leads to the build-up of... The Russian Revolution. Ah, uh, that makes sense because Japan basically trounced Russia. Yeah, which yeah. is super embarrassing if you're Absolutely. Russia and you've got a massive, massive country. Yeah. So, as a result of this, of the 651 athletes that competed in the 1904 Olympics, only 62 came from outside North America. Great. Yep. Well, that's the re. I- Okay, that's the reason why back in those days it made a lot of sense to put it in Europe. Yeah. Because granted, most people might still be European, but there are a lot more countries that are easily accessible in Europe. And you've got some land routes as well. Exactly. Yeah. So as a result of this, America ended up winning 239 medals. God bless them. Yep. Second place uh, was Germany. Who won 13. Woo! (laughs) So... Okay. It's, again, just mad. Okay, yep, yep. This sounds 
like the kind of chaos we were expecting back when London did the Olympics. Yeah, to pretty be much. Yeah. So one final thing I'm going to talk about before I actually get into the meat of this episode in the marathon. Okay. Was a really awesome guy called George Iser, who was a German-American gymnast who won six medals. Ooh. Three were gold. That mm-hmm. was in the parallel bars, long horse vault, and 25-foot rope climbing. Two were silver, the pommel horse and four event all around. Mm. Don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> and one was bronze for the horizontal bar. Okay. Now, obviously, this is impressive by any standards. So yeah. Six medals. But what's even more impressive is that when he was a young man, George Iser was involved in a train accident. It ran over his left leg and it had to be amputated. What? So he competed in gymnastics with a wooden prosthetic leg. That is incredible. Yeah. He was the only person to have competed in the Summer Olympics with a prosthesis until 2008. Seriously? Yeah. That's incredible. I know, right? Wow. Yeah. For almost 100 years, he was Mm. the only person. So I just wanted to mention that just because, you know, that's cool. That's very cool. But now I'm going to talk about the marathon. Okay. Which is a staple of the Olympics. Mm. I mean, it goes back to those original ancient Greek mm-hmm. Olympics, like the, the story of the Battle of Marathon. Yep. Did and the first marathon runner die instantly? Yes, he did, yes. Um, I don't know why people want to emulate this. Well, he does in the legend. I don't know how true. There's probably like bits of it are true, bits of it are stories. But mm. anyway, anyway. Um, so the marathon is pretty much synonymous with the Olympic Games. It's been performed at every single Olympics. Okay. But the 1904 marathon was so bad that it almost got the marathon cancelled for good. Really? Yes. Is it because everyone died at the end of it, having delivered the message about the Battle of Marathon? People did nearly die. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So at the time, the distance of the marathon and the track itself had not been standardised. So in this case, it was 24.85 miles or 40 kilometres. Okay. The terrain was rough. It included seven hills ranging from 100 to 300 feet high. Mm -hmm. The track led through paths of uneven cracked rocks. Into towns and through streets that had not been cleared, so they were full of traffic and people going to and fro. Okay. And where it wasn't, you know, rocks and streets, it was caked in layers of dust several inches deep. Even worse... was the fact that many of the officials for the race were driving in cars ahead or alongside the runners, creating huge clouds of dust to fly up. So they were basically running through thick clouds of dust and could barely see. Great. See, I told you that Missouri wasn't going to be the best place to do the Olympics. Yeah. It did, however, the event did have uh, the first ever black athletes to perform in the Olympics. Okay. Which are two individuals from South Africa who had been part of the anthropology days, but were then allowed to compete in the uh, marathon. Okay. These are Len Taunyane and Jan Mashiani, who are Mm -hmm. both members of the Tswana tribe, who had been long-distance message runners during the Boer War. Oh my god. I know. That's so cool, right? That's really cool. And also, one feels like the Americans should have sided with them because, you know, decidedly anti-British then. (laughs) Absolutely. So you've already said that, you know, Missouri is going to be pretty hot, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the temperature during the race was 32 degrees Celsius. Oh my God. Or 90 degrees Fahrenheit. You'd die sitting down in that. Yeah. And usually the marathon is done in the morning so Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's the cooler part of the day. This one was done at three in the afternoon. Fab. Peak time. Absolutely. Okay. Who organised this? Do we know? We do. A man by the name of James Edward Sullivan. Okay. And this is not incompetence. This is for specific reasons. Okay. The participants of the marathon had only two sources of water. A water tower at the six mile mark and a well at the 12 mile mark. Right. Didn't you say this is 24 miles long? Great. James Edward Sullivan basically wanted to conduct research into purposeful dehydration. Well, who let him? Oh, my God. Okay. Is is he a scientist? Is Uh, he just a a weirdo with an interest? He was kind of just a weirdo with an interest. But at the same time, in 1904, that could pretty much be synonymous with some scientists. I mean, true. Okay. So, so... This is the worst time to conduct your experiment yeah. into dehydration. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not wholly uncommon and really kind of unethical scientific research has been a staple even into like the 70s and 80s. True, but during an actual international competition. Yeah, but you've got that opportunity. And that, it, genuinely, I think that's what they were thinking. Like, this wow. is a great opportunity to look, do research into this because we're going to have a lot of people exerting themselves, being really knackered. Yeah. And, yeah. But people want to hear about the best people can do, not what people can achieve when they're slowly dying <laughs> of the heat in Missouri. Yeah, but I mean, as I say, this is kind of the direction that science was taking and would continue to take for decades to come. I mean, so I did I did a degree in psychology, which you know, but mm-hmm. I don't know if our listeners do. Um, and you learn a lot about some of the really horrific stuff that psychologists have done in the name of research. I mean, most famously, you've got Milgram uh, in 1961, mm-hmm. who uh, did tests of compliance where people basically thought that they were killing someone by an electric shock because they'd been ordered to. Wow. And you've got the the very dodgy and unscientific work of Philip Zimbardo in 1971. With who the Stanford- is still writing books. Yep. And they are not great. Uh, But he did the Stanford Prison Experiment, which is basically you give people authority and they immediately abuse it. Back in the 1920s, you have Watson, the father of behaviorism, who conditioned a boy known as Little Albert to be terrified of anything white and fluffy, which made him terrified of Father Christmas. Yeah, I know. It's really horrific. He claims that he then could, he then deconditioned Little Albert, but there's nothing written about that. Mm. So he probably never did. Okay, so this guy, how many people took part in this marathon, by the way? There were 32 participants from four nations. Great. Mostly America? Mostly Americans. Of these 32 participants, only 14 finished. Great. It is officially the lowest finish rate in the history of the Olympic marathon. I think that must be the lowest finish rate in the history of any marathon. Yeah, almost definitely. So not only that... But many of these participants were not actually trained marathon runners. Great, yeah. A lot of them were mid-distance runners. Uh, There were 10 Greek participants who had never run a marathon before. 
uh, two were the South Africans I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And there was also an amazing guy by the name of Felix Carbajal, who was a Cuban postman. Okay. Who had raised money to go to St. Louis by performing basically athletic stunts. Right. Uh, he trekked across the length of Cuba mm-hmm. to raise money with a sort of like sponsored run. And he managed to he managed to get up the money to yeah. travel. Oh bless him. He arrived in New Orleans and promptly lost all his money in a dice game. Oh my god. <laughs> he was for- I love this guy. Yeah. He was forced to hitchhike to the Olympic Games. Yeah. And by the time he arrived, the race was going to start in 40 minutes. Oh my God. He hadn't eaten for nearly 40 hours. Okay. And was dressed in street clothes, including a beret and long trousers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. A sympathetic bystander got out a knife and cut off his trousers at the knee to make them into shorts for him. I know. It's amazing. Wow. There are some... Very interesting people in this race, and we're going to focus on a few of them because the results of this race, as you can imagine, were mad. Mm. The event started at three minutes past three. Great. And the person to get into the lead was an American by the name of Fred Laws. And he was doing pretty well for quite a while, mm-hmm. but nine miles into his run, he started suffering from severe stomach cramps. Okay. Because basically the amount of dust that was oh. in the air was causing his esophagus and lungs to bleed. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. He did better than another individual, uh, William Garcia, who nearly died because of this, because of hemorrhaging. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well... First up, we're clearly not managing to actually test on severe dehydration at this point, <laughs> are we? No, I know, right? It's it's These are poor test conditions. Yeah, there's a lot of other factors, a lot of other variables that are not being controlled for. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously the track itself, as we've said, was not great. Mm-hmm. It was not well maintained and there were not enough officials to kind of look after it. Right. As a result, Len Tao, one of the South Africans, he went more than a mile off course. Whoa. Because he was being chased by wild dogs. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh. I know. That's horrible. It's so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you expect. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that poor man. I know. It's terrible. I couldn't find out if he actually ended up finishing the race. Okay. I really hope he did. Yeah. But I couldn't find any more mention of him. So I really hope that he managed to evade the wild dogs and get back on course. Well, I hope he managed to evade the wild dogs. That That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, individual John Lorden basically started the run immediately started vomiting from all the dust and just gave up. I mean, I think that's a good plan. I think that's a good plan, yeah. Like, not the vomiting, but definitely just 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 give up. Just don't do the marathon. Yeah. Back to our friend Felix Carvial. Okay. He uh, was trotting along in his cumbersome shoes and billowing shirt. (laughs) Amazing. And he was actually making good time. Okay. (laughs) But... 
He had apparently he would even stop and chat to spectators in oh, broken English. Amazing! I love this guy. Like he's a bit of an Eddie the Eagle type, really. Isn't a little he? bit. Um, while he was passing one of these cars that were like going alongside, he noticed that the occupants were eating peaches. Okay. And he was so hungry and thirsty that he basically <laughs> just leapt into the car, grabbed pe- two peaches, and ran out eating them. Amazing. <laughs> He had asked for them, to be fair, okay. but they said no. Oh, wait, so, so he, he actually just stole these peaches? He just stole peaches, yeah. Oh my gosh, who died and made him the great sage? <laughs> Monkey. Um, a bit further along the course, he was still hungry, because, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, not 40 eating for hours. nearly 40 hours, and then had to do a marathon. And he stopped by an orchard, and oh, he was great. like, oh great, apples. So he started eating the apples and then felt a bit funny. So he laid down and have a nap, had a nap. Great. Unfortunately, the apples were a bit rotten. Oh. And when he woke up, he was suffering severe stomach cramps. Yeah. Uh, he did not end up finishing the race, unfortunately. Okay. Which, I mean, fair enough. But you know enough. what? He became an absolute legend in yeah, our Yeah, right? Like, even if he didn't finish, that is such a good... I love it. I love earning all of your money to get on the race immediately losing all your money in a was it a card game did you say dice game in a dice game yeah even better having to hitchhike all the way stealing peaches stealing apples and having a nap yeah. incredible time <laughs> it's amazing so now i'm gonna talk about the winner or winners Ooh. of the race okay so if you remember, I started off talking about Fred Laws, who mm-hmm. was doing quite well. And then at nine minutes, start, not nine minutes, nine miles, mm-hmm. started suffering from stomach cramps. Yeah. He ended up winning. Whoa. He completed it in three hours and 13 minutes, okay. which is 13 minutes slower than the previous Olympic winner. Okay. That's and, really impressive, actually, yeah. given all of the problems. Absolutely. He was hailed as the winner. Uh, Alice Roosevelt, daughter of mm-hmm. Ted Roosevelt, uh, was there and she was going to like present him with the gold medal. And just as it was about to be put on his head, people were like, stop. That man did not win this race. What? When he suffered from his stomach cramps at the nine mile mark... Mm. He ended up hitching a ride in a car. <laughs> okay. No. He wasn't subtle about it. <laughs> As the car drove along, he was waving to people passing by and like chatting with them when okay. the car was going slowly. He didn't actually intend to finish the race at this point. He was actually being driven back to the stadium. Right. Fair enough. Because he he's bleeding internally. Yeah. The problem was, though, the car broke down right. because, you know, it's incredibly dusty and these are cars that... cars, Exactly. Yeah. So the car breaks down and he gets out and decides, you know what, I'm just going to, like, jog back to the stadium. Right. Now, the circuit that the marathon took place on was basically you did a number of goes around a track and then it went out into the countryside, back around, looped on itself, and then back to the stadium. Right. Okay, so it's not even a proper marathon run then. No. It's really stupid and yeah. difficult to keep yeah. track of. Absolutely. Like, fantastic. So eventually, uh, when he had like jogged back this last bit of the journey, he was 
in place to be at the finish line. Right. So he jogged across the finish line and everyone started hailing him as, you know, the winner of the marathon. Okay. He said he was never intending to go along with it. He basically was going to push this as a little joke as far as he could. Okay, sure. Which is why when it came to it, originally the Olympic Committee were going to ban him from any future events. Yeah. And they decided not to because it seemed genuinely that he wasn't going to actually accept it. He was yeah. just doing this as a joke. I could I could really understand doing this as a joke at this point. Like, yeah. this whole thing is so stupid. You'd yeah. want to kind of highlight that stupidity. Absolutely. He was a good runner, though. Um, the next year, 1905, he actually won the Boston Marathon. Oh, good for him. Yeah. So he was actually, yeah, yeah. you know, he was good. But this... He was good. He's just not good under situations exactly. <laughs> as stupid as this. Exactly. Okay. So now the actual winner of the event. Okay. Thomas Hicks. What a name. It's a great name. It's, it's very, very American. American. Yes, I absolutely. So 10 miles from the finish of the race, he was leading by a mile and a half, but he really wanted to stop and lie down because he was in such bad shape. Yeah. Because of, you know... Breathing in dust. Yeah, breathing in dust, not having any water. Mm-hmm just having this awful run and his trainers who were alongside him probably in a car Mm. basically had to physically restrain him to stop him from lying down on the road yeah they he begged them for water yeah so they wetted a sponge with warm distilled water and just kind of coated his mouth rather than giving him a drink because they weren't allowed to What is this guy, Jesus? I know, right? Yeah. As he got closer to the finish line and it looked like he wasn't going to make it, Mm -hmm. they decided we have to do something. Now, put yourself in the position of an Olympic trainer. Mm -hmm. Your protege is doing well. They're in first place, but they're flagging. They really need something to like get them going. Okay. What would you give them? Well, if we were in a modern situation, mm-hmm. then I'd probably give them one of like those gel packs or jelly beans or something. Yeah, like, that sugar. would make sense. What do you think you'd give them in 1904? <laughs> probably heroin. <laughs> Who knows? Well, Am I close? Yeah, was it straight up cocaine? No, it wasn't. No, because those would have made sense. Okay. <laughs> he was given egg whites right. and strychnine. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I've only heard of strychnine in the context in the context of like poisoning. Yeah, it was a common rat poison at the time. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I can see actually how this would make sense. Can you? Because I'm a historian. Okay. And I've heard a- about a potential thing that might have been done to Edward VI. Okay. I think I'm talking about Edward VI. Might be Edward VII. Right. The one who's the son of Henry VIII anyway. Okay, yeah. So you know he was dying. Yeah. Like from a really young age. Yeah. Um, apparently, they needed to keep him alive for long enough for him to sign the will to say that Lady Jane Grey would be the next heir. Right. And to do this, they administered small amounts of arsenic to him. Right. Because... 
for whatever reason, that was enough to keep him alive, but in huge amounts of pain. Yeah. It's a really horrible thing to do to somebody, but some poisons can work for specific issues. Well, strychnine, uh, it will stimulate the nervous system. Right. But obviously in a very horrific way yeah so i think there was that sort of logic i mean the thing that concerns me in your story yeah is that clearly they were carrying strychnine with them they had this as a contingency plan (laughs) this wasn't a last minute like what 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 should we do oh my god we've only got these things in the car this is oh so we really need tom to win Let's make sure <laughs> that we can poison him. That's horrible. Yeah. Oh, God. So he started battling onwards, and one of the side effects of strychnine poisoning is hallucinations. Oh, fantastic. That's so, exactly what you need right now. Yeah. On this really <laughs> rocky, crappy road. Yeah. Really hot day. Really, hot really day. rocky road. You've dust not everywhere. Kind of thing. You're they're not letting they're not letting the trainers <laughs> give people water but for some reason they're allowed to give them egg whites and strychnine. Yeah, it's because there weren't any rules at that point about like performance enhancing drugs. But there were rules about water. Well, that that was because of James Edward Sullivan. Because he wanted to test this whole dehydration thing. Okay. Why can't he be overruled? Why <laughs> Who died and made him king of the marathon? I don't know, because it seems like uh, the guy I mentioned earlier, who is the uh, founder of the International Olympic Committee, Pierre de Coubertin, mm-hmm. seems like he really hated James Edward Sullivan. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think, basically, Sullivan had been put in charge of this event, and there wasn't really anyone who could officially overrule him. Sullivan's just there like one of those evil geniuses being like yes I will kill as many Olympians as possible (laughs) and everyone's like what can we do to stop him nothing I have control over the marathon well well curse you I will give my I'll give my athletes egg whites I'm going to give them some peaches Hughes didn't say anything in the rules it doesn't say anything in the rules of this marathon that the Olympians can't eat peaches (laughs) Yeah. No, this is insane. Uh, it gets slightly worse. Oh, God, how? They well, just rat poisoned somebody. Yeah, but they did it again. Oh, no. <laughs> what, the same guy? The same guy. Oh, Tom, no. He was a few miles away and he was flagging again, as you would when you've been poisoned, dehydrated <laughs> and hemorrhaging. So they decide to give him a little bit more strychnine, but this time they're going to mix it in with some brandy. They're allowed to give him brandy? Yeah, I mean that... I mean, granted, that's not going to hydrate you. No, it will dehydrate you. (laughs) But who's... No, no. Like, clearly they can get away with giving him stuff. Can't they just pretend they're giving him brandy and just giving him some goddamn water? Apparently they... I don't know. They just didn't want to. (laughs) These people are awful. They really are. I think they might be worse than the race coordinator. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So... We get to the end of the race. Thomas Hicks is still ahead somehow. He is hallucinating. He is really flagging at this Mm -hmm. point. And just shy of the finish line, he collapses. 
Yeah. Which you would. You would. He said afterwards that he was basically so off his face from the strychnine poisoning that he thought he still had 20 miles to go. Oh, no. Yeah. So he collapses and is still kind of like shuffling on the ground. Right. So everyone is kind of like, let's just put an end to this. So his trainers get out of their car. Okay. Pick him up. Right. And carry him over the finish line. And apparently he was so, he was in like such a state that he was actually running while they were carrying him. He was like shuffling his arms and legs. What, like when you dangle a dog over water and they do that thing? Yeah, because he was hallucinating so badly. God. (laughs) Also, they're not allowed to give him water, but they're allowed to carry him over the finish line. What is this madness? Yeah, I think this was, I think this was just a, let's just, let's just put an end to this. (laughs) Even the guy who's really intent on dehydrating and killing a bunch of Olympians yeah. is like, ah, oh, fine, whatever. It took four doctors and an hour for Hicks to feel well enough just to leave the grounds of the Olympic Stadium. Wow. He had lost eight pounds in weight during the course of the race. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, it took a solid six months of doing the 5-2 diet to get me to lose eight pounds. It turns out all I could have done is go for a really hot run on a dusty day and get you to give me strychnine. (laughs) So that is the end of the story of the 1904 Olympic marathon. And you can see why they thought, Maybe we should just cancel this. This seems really dangerous. Mm. Really, though, I think they should have gone, maybe we should just make sure that James Edward Sullivan never goes near an event ever again. Well, there's a simple answer to that, which is just don't put it in America. (laughs) And don't let people wheedle their way into getting both of the big events that year. I know. I feel so sorry for Chicago. That really sucks. Yeah, they could have had a really nice event going on, but instead it's like, now we're going to do it all in one place and it's going to be mad. Mm. (laughs) Insane. And Chicago's got like a really big lake that you could presumably do a marathon on. Oh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't really put this in my notes, but I did see that um, in order to do the aquatic events, they basically dug a lake <laughs> because there wasn't... But Chicago's already got a lake! <laughs> I know, but they didn't have one in St. Louis oh that God. was of the appropriate size, so they dug and filled a temporary lake. <laughs> uh, this this Olympics is the worst. Yeah. Okay, well done, Tokyo. You did. <laughs> you did a great job. I guess this is the good thing. Like, even though way back when, when we were thinking about the London Olympics and mm. about how everything was going to go wrong with that one, yeah, um, which obviously it didn't, and it was actually a great time, yeah. Um, there is no possible way to fail as hard as the 1904 Olympics. Pretty much. So that's great. It's always going to be uphill from there. Yeah, pretty much. You've got a, You've got easy street now. Yeah. Just don't poison your runners with strychnine. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to that episode of That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and you can suggest any episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as ever, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in the pod. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and drink some water. Bye! Bye.